Welcome to the Outdoor You Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Outdoor You Podcast, Episode 3, Coyote Hunting Central. I'm your host, Rob. Thank you for giving us a listen. Joining me today is Wyatt and Nick. They are two uh, young gentlemen that have not only got into the sport of coyote hunting, but have gotten very successful at it. And in fact, they just recently competed in a tournament, uh, the Great Lakes Region Predator Challenge, um, where they were very successful. Wyatt got 16th out of 118 participants. He placed 16th out of that. Nick, you... I was on the same team as him. Oh, so you, it was a team thing. Yep. So yep. Um, these guys obviously know what they're doing when it comes to the world of coyote hunting. And I guess first thing, is it coyote or coyote? What do we call it? Coyotes. I say yoke dogs, song dogs, coyotes. It pretty much is it's kind of a, a, yeah. a gamut of whatever however to, you want to. comes to mind first. <laughs> well, let's, first things first, let's do kind of introductions. Wyatt, I'll let you start. Just give us, give our listeners, um, how did you get in just, not, not necessarily coyote hunting, but just into, into being an outdoors in general. Yeah, so when... Uh, when I was growing up, I had a identical twin brother, and my earliest memories was uh, my dad carrying us both on each hip out into the deer woods, usually sitting on the ground, and then as we grew up a little bit, built a platform tree stand and hauled us both up there. I uh, harvested my first deer at seven years old, and uh, that's pretty much what ignited the fire. So from seven years old on, I killed a deer every year until... 12 years old. So deer hunting is what got you in the woods? Deer hunting, big time, yeah. I mean, we, we dabbled with rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting and everything, but nothing got me going like harvesting a whitetail. Far as fa- you're a fisherman too. Yeah. yeah I bass fish tournaments and whatnot, but uh, whitetails was definitely my obsession until recently. Uh, coyote hunting's definitely got up towards the top of the list there. Nice. Yeah. Have you, have you, I'm sure you've also stepped in the world of turkey as well. Oh, yeah. I do whatever's in season. I never thought that I could feel a rush that I feel like hunting during the rut. Right. You know, like when you hear them, when you hear that and, yeah. and a buck grunting or whatever, and you can't, I never thought that I could find anything, experience anything in the woods that could match that. But man, I'm telling you what, on a on a nice quiet April morning when you get a Tom hammering at you, you can feel his chest beat. Oh yeah, my gosh, the there gobble. is no feeling in the world. <laughs> right, that gobble getting closer. Yes. The the for me the um, closest to a white tail and bow range would have to be um, seeing a double pair of coyotes pop out of the woods in range. It's a uh, it's a big rush. I actually, it's almost as big as I actually had that experience this year while deer hunting. Um, it scared the living shit out of me. Yeah. Um, it was one of them nights where um, it was just getting wasn't a breath of wind that night. I'm deer hunting, obviously. It's getting towards evening, and all of a sudden I can hear some yips and howls way in the distance. I'm talking like a good half mile away, and then just out of nowhere. I mean, these two were within 30 yards of me. Must have been denned up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it literally scared the living <laughs> shit out of me. And how loud. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it, it got, I mean, when then they started joining in, I was that close to where I literally, not because I was scared, 
that it literally was hurting my eardrums where I almost had to put my hands over my ears. It was that close and that loud. Right, and yeah. then you know you have a 500-yard walk out of the woods in the dark, <laughs> so that you're puckering a little more. Exactly, yes. The sphincter was a little tight, Right. I would say. Yeah. And then luckily I seen their silhouettes because then it got dark, and then I seen them. Luckily they went away, and I'm like, I'm getting the hell out of here. Of course, I mean, most generally there's not too many known attacks right. from coyotes attacking hunters. I've heard of coyotes coming up on a guy trying to drag a deer out and trying to win the win the battle for the deer, yeah. but not actually attacking the hunter. But he was, you know, I've heard stories of that before. So yeah. yeah, I've always had that thought in the back of my mind while I was deer hunting too, until you start to actually pursue coyotes and see how smart they actually are and how scared of people they actually are, that you try as hard as you can with coyote calls and whatnot to get them in range and they... They're the smartest critter I've ever hunted. Smarter than a mature doe. Yeah. Brought yeah big buck. Yeah, comparable I, to a mature buck. I mean, that's a great comparison to even a smart because I still think a five year old doe is like one of the hardest animals to kill, in ab- my opinion. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Nick, how about you? How did you get into the great outdoors? Well, I probably started going on tracking jobs with my dad as soon as I could probably walk. You know, I mean, he's been hunting ever since I've been, could remember. <laughs> I uh, probably got starting in squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting at an early age with my dad when I was young, and probably four or five, I would say, just walking around, maybe shooting a little BB gun or something, just because I probably couldn't handle a 410 or 20 gauge at the time. And, you know, pushed that, and that transitioned to squirrel hunting with a 22, and then I was able to start deer hunting when I was about 10 years old. And that was when they changed the law from 12 years old at when I was able to hunt to 10 so then my two-year-old two or two-year younger brother actually ended up hunting the same year I could first start hunting so that was like that kind of sucks because I wanted to shoot one before him but he got a little jump start on he kind of got a jump start on me but I still shot two deer when I was 10 a couple more when I was 11 and that just you know conspired into me always hunting and and I probably deer hunted shot a lot of deer over the years and Probably started coyote hunting around uh, 18, 17 or 18. My dad bought me a collar on Christmas, and we went and probably did hundreds of sets sitting in the woods, you know. As a kid, I had nothing better to do at night with a red light, just sitting on a tree line and hoping for the best for a coyote to come running at you. But probably did 100, 200 sets probably before I called in the first one. And when that happened, it was on. I Bought all the real good gadgets, night vision, and expensive e collars and ARs and twenty two two fifties. All the right stuff to use. All the right stuff. It's right. harder to hunt with red lights and. You've and kind of segued into what I was going to ask you guys next is what then got you obviously starting out, you know, in a tree stand deer hunting, and then what yeah. has gotten you into the world of coyote hunting? Why it what. What triggered it for you to wear? Obviously, you know, like for me, like I said, I hunt them, but it's basically it, it's a it's a side hunt when I'm deer hunting. You know, right. obviously, if I if I'm out in my tree stand and I got a coyote, I'm going to do the little squeaky noise with my you know my lips up against my and <clears throat> nine times out of ten it stops them and they come in. You know, right. then it's just a matter of if the wind's right or whatnot. That's basically my form of coyote hunting, and that's as far as I've taken it. And I'm normally I kill one a year to be quite honest with you right. doing that. How about you? What really triggered it for me was uh, when I was younger, I had hit a deer marginally and uh, recovered it the next morning, totally obliterated from coyotes. 
And then, you know, getting a ton of coyotes on trail camera, and I said, man, there's got to be a way to get rid of these things. So um, at first I started trapping, well, attempted trapping, and after about 10 dug-up sets and checking traps for three weeks with no results, I was like, there's got to be a better way. So that's when, you know, starting off as a high school kid, you don't have the money for the the productive setup. So we start with a red light and a shotgun or a red light. And uh, back then it was a rimfire only um, at night. Um, so when you say red light, go further. So it's... Compared to what are your, like, what is the most common use now? Yeah, the, so back then, you know, the cheapest setup would be a $30 spotlight with a red cover on it. Okay. Because um, coyotes, critters in general that can't see color, you know, it's they don't really see the red light. So that's what you hunt with, which, you know, nowadays when we get, I mean, careers and have more cash and whatnot, we... We use thermal scanners to detect them at night instead of standing there scanning a lot of movement with a red light. We usually uh, locate them with a thermal scanner and then uh, get on them with night vision scopes to shoot them, which back in my red light era probably had 50 50 sets or so and finally called one in and missed one at a long range. Um, And then... Nick actually took me on my first set with uh, with night vision. We went out to one of my deer properties, and uh, I was using his setup, called one into about 150 yards and folded him up. From going from a red light to using night vision, it was night and day difference, and that started my addiction. I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, <coughs> do it right. Night vision is like an invisible red glowing light that coyotes cannot see. They might be able to see a faint red glow at a distance, but they're usually not too afraid of it. So you guys kind of went from feeling just your standard outdoor huntsman to now you feel like you're probably like special op Navy SEAL shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, so when you're doing these sets... Uh, I'm I'm intrigued now, not only just to just to use the equipment is what is intriguing yeah, me now. Yeah, to, to put it in perspective from someone that doesn't do this, um, so you have a... You still have a flashlight attached to your scope, However, um, that sends an infrared beam of light that's only detectable by your scope. The human eye cannot pick up an infrared light. So essentially, when we're calling and hunting coyotes, it's completely blacked out. There's no... No lights at all. No light whatsoever. That's awesome. Yeah. Makes you feel a little bit more camouflaged. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you talked about trapping. And I've never trapped myself, but I know that it is a pain in the ass. Yes. Um, simply because, first and foremost, you have to check them every single day. Right. Um, and then if you are into it for the fur, you you can't just, like, so if you get one, you just can't go up and put a bullet in its head. I mean, then you got to be basically, I mean. <laughs> Humanely as possible. Humanely as possible, you know kill the animal and that's something that i mean because i i've had no desire you know that's why i've never really got into trapping because if i do i'm just gonna go you know put put a gun to its head and, and be done with it <laughs> i have no desire i just want them off my property i don't i want them to stop killing my fawns and eating my turkey eggs and mm-hmm. then at that too if you get a coyote say that doesn't have a good fur then 
goes to waste. I've heard now that I mean, the, the money now is, is complete garbage. Yeah, even even the yeah. best of furs is probably, I don't know, $15. So then by the time you factor in your trap costs <laughs> and your gas to drive there, and then your time to skin the animal, which is a tedious procedure, I don't know how. Trapping I mean, seems a lot more work versus what you guys are doing, oh, which yeah. right. seems like it, it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. This is a lot. I, I mean, I've never caught them in a trap, so I can't really speak on how it feels to walk up to a dog in a trap, but the rush that you get from actually calling them calling mature, in the smart top tile. predator in the areas. And you can do that multiple times in and a And that's night. the other thing, too, is because the, the different, I mean, they're like us. They're hunting. Right. You know, deers with, are with carnivores. times better senses than us. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, when we're hunting a deer or a turkey, they're, they're, they're carnivore. I mean, they're, they're just, they're looking to eat and survive. They're not trying to kill anything. Right. A coyote is, yes. or a yes. fox, yes. you know, so that puts us kind of on the same keel. But, yes, I mean, it's amazing how smart and keen they are. Incredibly, um, yes. yes. I mean, it's it almost gets to where their nose are like is like turkey's vision. You know, like I've always said, if, if my buddy Rick and I have always said, if, if a turkey could smell, they would be unkillable. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they really would. And they that, would be unkillable. You're facing the coyote, say. you're facing the eyesight. The hearing and the nose, yeah. you got three senses that are working overtime because that's how they make a living. They got to hear a mouse under the snow, or they got to find a rabbit in the grass. Like all three yeah, senses are working overtime all the time. Right. So, do you guys primarily then wait until? I mean, do you do legit coyote hunts during deer season, or is this something that you kind of wait and just wait till after deer season is over? Um, and then kind of get after because obviously we are coming. We're in the first week of February, so correct me if I'm wrong, but we're pretty much getting in the the rut, yes. so, if you will. I mean, this is their prime mating season, correct? It is, yes. Um, the majority of our coyote hunting is uh, after deer season, just for the simple fact of uh, most of our ground is uh, deer hunters, right? So they don't want us, you know, messing their deer hunts up. So. Because they're they're out there they're out in the fields too so I mean it's not right. like they're yeah. in, it yeah. ain't like turkey hunting where they're up in the roost in the <laughs> trees you, you know right so I would say probably seventy five to eighty percent of our uh, ground that we have for coyote hunting is primarily deer hunters so um, I mean we dabble on our own property with some sets you know if we're mm-hmm. out of tags or whatnot we'll kill a couple during deer season but uh, majority we try also not to really jump in that too hard mostly because we like to do uh, tournaments. After, you know, January and deer season, you know, we like to do tournaments so we don't like to blow our good spots out and push the coyotes off or, you know, less population probably won't call as many. Yeah, or harvest coyotes that you could kill in a tournament that, you know, might push you to the top. Nick, I really like you because you're like a perfect segue guy because now speaking of tournaments, that's really segueing right into kind of the next thing I want to talk about, which is this tournament that you guys recently participated in called the Great Lakes Region Predator Challenge. Um, once again, 118 teams. Um, am, I, am I assuming a team is just as a tandem, a two or uh, two or three? Two or three. You guys finished 16th out of 118. Just tell us about the tournament. How, I mean, how are you competing? Where are all the participants range from? From I'm I'm assuming all around the Midwest. Yeah, there's fill us in. There's a few teams from I think Kentucky. There was one, and obviously there's probably a handful from Indiana. That's real close. Um, I believe there was a couple more from the Midwest states, but 
most of them were from Michigan, the lower peninsula. It's pretty hard to get a guy from the upper peninsula to drive down to check in in Kalamazoo at 11 in the morning or 7 at night. You know, it's kind of not ideal for them. But other than that, it's mainly local guys probably within that lower half of the state, lower so, third of the state. So this tournament, then you have a centralized check-in station. Yeah, so the – Which was in Kalamazoo? Yeah. Um, the tournament's held by DNR Sports in uh, Kalamazoo. And uh, Friday night is the start of the tournament is 7 o'clock, and you have to check in by 7 – well, not you don't have to be there by 7 o'clock, but the hunt starts at 7. So you try to get up there as early as possible to make it by your set to be ready to hunt in time. So say there's a guy driving from, I don't know, Kalkaska or Petoskey. They have to drive four hours to get to Kalamazoo and head back to – be able to start their hunt, but the hunt is only so. So if a gentleman from Petoskey or even from you guys where we're at in Southwest Michigan, or you know, you have to drive and check in in yes. Kalamazoo and then drive back right to. So this gentleman would drive them back to Petoskey. Right, that's a haul. That's yeah. a haul. Yeah, that's yeah. That's so obviously risk. that's why. Okay, that's yeah. that's the risk you have to take, and uh, yeah. also. Um, to check in on Sunday when the hunt's over, you have to bring your dogs to weigh in at Kalamazoo. So if you're hunting that four hours away, you're four hours drive to start the hunt and four hour drive back to weigh in or check in. Um, but the hunt is um, Michigan only. You can't leave the state. So the reason that you have to go there to check in, though, is uh, you get a pack of playing cards, okay? There's certain rules for how to check your dog in. Um, so once you harvest a coyote... Uh, you take a video of your harvest and you shake it to show that it's freshly killed. Um, starting with ace through king, each coyote you have to um, show the coyote that is um, limp, and then a you have to say the shake. you have to sh- say the code mm-hmm. word for the night. So this year's code word was. Uh, Catalina wine mixer. Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> yes, thank you. So you would to start your video, you hold the dog up, shake it, say it's the Catalina wine mixer, followed by if it's if it's your first dog, you take the ace playing card with your team number on it, put it in the dog's mouth, zip tie it shut, and it stays in there till check in if there's any Yeah, and you get a laminated piece of paper with a dry erase marker on it, and you uh write what time you shot it and which number animal it was, whether that was your third coyote or your fourth coyote or whatever it was and then you got to send that all in a text make sure you they get that text they have a confirmation within 15 minutes and they could at any point ask you hey we need a location like right now of where you're at and if you don't reply in 15 minutes that coyote does not count just to make sure you're in the state of michigan or you're not cheating you're not sitting in the city somewhere with the dog or whatever Whatever the case so is. some of these people then that were coming in from out of state, I'm assuming either they knew people that had hookups on private land or were some hunting public land? I'm sure some were hunting public land. I'm sure some were. Um, obviously, at nighttime hunting, you get more of the coyote action. They feel safer at night. And you can only hunt public land in Michigan with the rim fire at night. So that's obviously mostly your 17 HMR, 17 WSM, or 22 mag along those lines. And most people don't like doing that, obviously. It's harder to kill a coyote. You know, you got to get them in within 100 yards to kill them with a 17 for the most part. Yes, you can do it, but it's harder. Right. But, yeah, most people, I think, out of state, they probably know a good farmer or family that got some land up around here and 
probably hit all their spots. Which back to what you just hit on. So um, on public land, like he said, rim fire only at night. Private land, you can use a center fire rifle up to a .269 caliber. So it's a way bigger advantage. You know, guy on public land is using a rim fire 100 yard range, if that. Hardly any knockdown power, which we're on private land. I'm running a 6.5 Creedmoor. He's running a 2.23. There's no comparison in the. No, absolutely not. I actually shot my first coyote with a 17 HMR at night with the red light. Red light. So this tournament starts obviously on Friday and then ends on a Sunday. Sunday, right. you got to be at check-in by 11. 11 o'clock on a Sunday night? Morning. Morning. S- Sunday yep. morning. Okay. So yeah. this is. Yeah, so you'd go up there. Um, I and it, Okay, so are you pretty much just hunting then the Friday and Saturday night? I mean, are you? do you do any? Any of this happened during daytime? We did do a few daytime sets. Um, so, like, you – we we checked in about, what, 6 o'clock on Friday night? Yeah. And it was really bad weather. I-94 was terrible. There's crashes everywhere. So we were running a little behind schedule. We got to our first set about 7.15 yeah. shortly after dark. Uh, yeah, we hunted all night until uh, 8.30 in the morning. Wow. Probably. I mean, that's – they're nocturnal hunters, so – most of your hunts are throughout the night. Um, there's not a whole lot of daytime movement, more this time of year than anything. But at that at that point, you worked all day Friday, hunted all night till 8.30, try to get a little, as little rest or yeah. as much rest as you can in that short span of time. So my next question would be, obviously we're, we're hunting in January. We're in Michigan. You just said that the weather was nasty. How in the world, what, what are you guys set, what is your setup to where you're able to, that you're able to stay out all night outside? I mean, are you in a blind, I mean, how are you keeping warm, keeping so, out of elements? What, what's your, what's your setup? Our sets usually only last for about 20 minutes. Okay. So, I mean, you've got about between 15 minutes and a half hour to warm back up in the truck between your next sets, which we try to, you know, do it as fast as we can, but. Sometimes it's too cold, and, you know, most times we don't even get cold sitting out there for only 20 minutes. And usually we're standing up on a tree line. Especially if you do get one in and your adrenaline is rushing. Oh, right. absolutely. I mean, I'm it, sweating more times than I'm ever cold. Yeah, and <laughs> this dude, he, if we shoot a dog and got to walk 400 yards, he gets back to the truck, we're ripping yeah, down to I'm a t-shirt, whether it's zero off. degrees or 50 <laughs> degrees. So, yeah, that's not, another thing is you don't want to overdress because, say, you have a 200-yard walk out to your set, and then you do shoot one 400 yards, 300 yards away, or whichever, even if it runs a long ways, and you got to hike to get it. Most of the time, yeah. fields are soft with the snow or, you know, tilled over and can't drive out there. So then you got a 600-yard drag back to the truck. So then you're sitting in soaking wet hunt clothes all night. You can only switch clothes so many times. So yeah. I'm assuming, too, then, um, there's no ATV. I mean, you got you pretty much have to do this on foot because any form of a vehicle is probably going to screw sh- Screw shit up. More than likely, yeah. yeah. If they're in the area, they're more than likely going to hear you approaching, especially on calm nights with the full moon or whatever, you know. Yeah. So you try to sneak in as quiet as possible. I mean, we've had times where we're going to hit a set, and with the thermal scanners I talked about earlier, we'll scan a field prior to getting out of the truck, and we've had coyotes in the field when we pull up that we called in. Um, Somehow. <laughs> yeah. For example, last year we were pulling up to a um, cornfield with tall corn stubble, and it was a property that uh, 
that we've had high success at prior. Um, so we were driving by, and I scanned the field, and I see two heat signatures out there. That you know, usually you can tell if a deer they don't really move much; they're kind of stationary in a herd or whatnot. Well, there's two heat signatures out in the middle of the field that were kind of on the move. Um, so Nick was driving. I told him to keep cruising. We go back. We go down the road, turn around, come back, and they actually start howling at us. With the windows down, you could hear them howling. They were moving a bit. So went down, turned around again, come back by, and there's an irrigation pivot right on the road there. So we pulled off the road, blacked out, shot all our lights off, um, moved off the road to the first irrigation tires, set the call right next to us. As soon as it lit up, they were on a sprint right to us and a double um, shot both of them. Yep. Immediate 30 seconds of calling. Yeah, that was a cool video. I mean, they came about 80 yards away, and we shot, and they both just start spinning. and <laughs> ran, ran right to us. Yeah. So this tournament, is this a once-a-year thing, or do they have it periodically through the, the prime coyote hunting season, or is this is this like a one-and-only-time tournament? They uh, The DNR only puts one on a year, and it's one of the biggest in the state. I'd say it's probably the top two or three of the state. They got another one that's been coming up real hard um, that's called the – Grand Prix, and that's over out of Davison, Michigan, and that's about three hours from us, and that's just we're debating on doing it or not, but I don't think Hey, if the guy from Petoskey, man, (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Well, we about burn up all our spots from the DNR tournament last weekend, (laughs) but there's a lot of uh, online tournaments, um, which they actually just started doing those again this year because they quit doing it for a year, but another guy started a backup, and they're doing pretty successful with that. Tell, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's uh, the same concept of basically uh, the structure of the DNR tournament. So it's only Michigan, at least from what I found. It's only Michigan, and they get about anywhere between they could have five teams on a crappy weekend or they could have 50 teams on a big coyote weekend or something. And big coyote, I mean, they have a side pot for the largest coyote, and everybody puts in 20 bucks, and that's a big side pot for the big coyote pot you know or whatever but yeah i mean it's a pretty fun tournament to get in that's all online so that that's not a thing to where then like so say for the gentleman for petoskey he doesn't have to drive back he can he can stay in petoskey for that for that type of tournament correct right yes and we actually won one of those satellite tournaments last year uh we really didn't have much we didn't even plan on hunting the tournament and we were all just hanging out and it goes hey there's tournament tonight you want to get in so we all joined together and we're like yeah, we're going to go hunting anyways. Might as well see if we can win some money at it. And uh, so it went from just going to be a fun hunt night. We hunted all night long. We ended up calling in about 12 coyotes and shot six of them. And we actually ended up winning uh, the side pot for the biggest coyote, side pot for the smallest coyote, and uh, the tournament with the most coyotes. Nice. Very nice. I think there was only like 10 or 15 people in that, so I think it only paid – 600 bucks or something like that, but when you still, get lucky, still I'm, a good night of hunting. I yeah, mean, I'd, absolutely. Rather, I'd rather get paid to hunt. Oh, yeah. So, the, on this, going back to this uh, Great Lakes Predator Challenge, how many places, like with the awards or whatnot? I mean, did you guys get anything um, for what you? I mean, does it? Well, they, they paid. How was the awards? They paid placed? 10 spots for okay. that. So, we were just out of the money. Um, we had the most weight uh, for three coyotes. Um, the, the next, we actually, um, had heavy, so in that tournament, they, um, 
it's your heaviest five coyotes, whether you shoot 12 or whether you shoot five, it's your heaviest five, and they go off that weight. Um, we averaged uh, 39 pounds of coyote, so really we needed two more, but like we said earlier, the weather was god-awful. The first night it snowed all night with 25-mile-an-hour winds by 4 a.m., finally wind died down, and uh, we called in our first two coyotes in about 4.30 in the morning, um, hit both of them, tracked it 600 yards, made it to a den. I mean, blood like crazy. It was hit twice. It rolled in the field once, a uh, big old skid mark, and ran 500 more yards. These animals are incredibly Just as resilient as a whitetail buck. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. This dog got hit twice. Can't say for sure where, but it got up and ran 500 yards to a den after being hit twice with a two two three. Um then after that set the first night after calm down, our next set was about five fifteen in the morning. Um first call there, a large male lit up about a thousand yards away. Uh Nick got on the vocals with him, uh fought with him back and forth, doing some challenges and pup fights and whatnot. And uh after about ten minutes he popped out at two hundred fifty yards and we uh we dropped him yep. in the cornfield there. Then we moved to another spot about a mile down the road. This was probably pushing 6 a.m. at that point. Yeah. Called in, call in about two minutes, called in one to 100 yards, rolled him. Yeah, not so, even. So, I mean, we hunted, we hunted in horrible weather for eight hours. Our spirits were as low as they could be after losing the two that we tracked 600 yards. And then to have bam, bam, back-to-back, um, back-to-back sets, kill a coyote, our spirits went from down in the dumps to sky high. Um, then that night kind of fizzled out or fizzled out into the morning. We did a daybreak set at a spot where we had a lot of action, didn't produce anything. We we went to bed about 9.30, uh, got up at 1, and like Nick said, we burned up a lot of our ground that first night. So we went beating on some doors and ended up getting, you know, probably, what, four more sets? Three, three yeah, or four, four more sets for the next night. Um, because like he said earlier, we, we, we fun hunt quite a bit, but we try to save our areas with our core activity for the tournament. So you have, you know, better chance, better chance on properties that are unpressured. Um, so yeah, we kind of ran out that the end of that first night on stuff we had saved, picked up some new ground. The next night started just as bad as the first night. It was started sleeting. It was raining sideways, 32-degree rain, iced up on our scopes, our thermals, everything was covered in ice. Um, that night we struggled a bit. We killed one pretty close right off the bat. We had our three. We were hunting for two more, and we hunted 12 sets that night, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, called in, I think, three, two of them, Going back to the coyote senses, come over the hill 200 yards, sprinting straight into the call, drop below the hill in front of us, vanish. Never seen them again. Never, they were never downwind of us. They never seen us. We were camouflaged good in a tree row. They come over that hill, sprint to the call, went below the hill in front of us, vanished. Five minutes later, one pops out at 300 yards away. You're like, do you take that long shot in the rain and the wind, or do you? chance him coming in well he sat he sat down about 275 yards out for about 10 seconds about 10 seconds sat there and once they do that they know something's up 
He took a seat and vanished into the woods, and I think that was the last dog we seen of the night. Yep. So that that's kind of one of the tough things is when you have one out there at that long range, which is a doable shot with the guns that you're able to use, not very probable of a shot. It's doable, but. Of course you want to get them in as close as you can. You right. Know? I mean, a 100 shot obviously is way better than a 250-yard shot, and that's, for example, like what we did earlier that night. I had called the two or the night before Friday night, called the two in in that corn to about 250 yards, you know, and they stopped for a second. You're like, well, they're coming just a few seconds ago, so maybe they'll keep coming at least get to 200, you know. And as soon as they stopped, they turned and run back away. But we ended up stopping them back at about 280, getting a couple shots off, but never found them. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the hardest part is you have to make a split second decision once them coyotes lock up. They decide in two seconds whether or not they're going to be gone forever or they're going to commit to the call. And it's about 50-50 whether they come to the call or sprint off. So if they are held up at 250 yards, you got to make a decision right now, drop of a hat, whether or not you're going to take a poke at them or not. Got to read the body language of the coyote, you know. Can you tell, is it running, staring at the freaking call, you know, going hard? Or is it looking back at the coyote behind or just looking back? Usually when they start looking back or the other way, Nine times out of ten, they're probably not coming. Yeah, that's all when you got to take your shot for yeah. sure. With you guys now getting into this, um, have you pretty much? I kind of have the feeling that you a lot of this you have just self-educated yourselves on your tactics. Or I mean, has there been a certain person or people or what that have you've done for a lot of for, from an educational standpoint, or has it just been a lot of trial and error? More or less, it's a lot of time in the field. I mean, we've. Uh, three years ago is when uh, me and Nick killed it. He took me out with his rifle and killed my first coyote, and that triggered it all for me. And I don't know, we've probably done 500 sets or more, probably killed over 100 coyotes in the last three years. You know, and, and what better way to, to kill the void, that lull between deer and turkey season? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 the best. Oh, I mean, yeah. like this year, you have no ice, right? You, there's no right. seasons you, going on. You can only rabbit hunt so many times before you kill yeah. all your rabbits. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things that you can do year to, round. to control the deer population, the rabbit population, game species, you know. Um yeah, you do it year-round, yeah. and coyote, getting coyote property is nothing like getting deer property. You can knock on 100 doors and everybody tell you to go get bent on deer property, but I've been turned down, I think, a total of two times out yeah. of Well, I'm sure you 50. get a lot of times, too, yeah. where you get where you get gentlemen that they're not going to let you set foot other than, you know, for, from a deer perspective, but they, right. may, they may not have any of the resources or knowledge or – effort or will to go out but they know they've got coyotes right yeah on their property hell yeah go out and kill my you know well, that's that's it, it's only benefiting is, them as long as they can trust you i mean that right exactly. you know for me and my standpoint that's what i did i allowed a gentleman to come out and trap my property but it's like i kind of had to i, I want to know who it is yeah. because you know i mean we all you don't want to just let anybody if mm-hmm. you've got a, a pretty good deer hunting property especially if it's a large enough you don't want to let just anybody out there you you kind of have to feel them out and, and know that you can trust them right of course you know and that's probably 50 to 60 percent of our ground is uh word of mouth mm-hmm. i mean um you got your core people that you know well that trust you that allow you to hunt their property well you go to their property and you kill a coyote or two well then they tell their buddy well these guys are 
getting it done out here. So then you get a message or a call from their buddy that says, hey, I heard you guys are getting it done. And then you build a relationship with that person. You get one dead there, and it just keeps snowballing. Yep. I would say, you know, when when we started, got the right optics and everything, we probably had six, seven properties maybe. Yeah. Now we're probably up to 30 to 35 different properties, close to 3,000 acres that we can hunt at will. Um, and it just keeps growing, really. I mean, uh, last night I got two of them. Farmer hit me up. Hey, uh, coyotes are running rampant out here. What can you do? And that was word of mouth. Somebody told somebody that, hey, these guys are killing dogs and just snowballs. Yeah. So we'll get away from the tournament. Let's now get into just the base of coyote hunting in general. Um, and, and kind of like this is kind of like a coyote 101, you know, especially for listeners who are like me or maybe even less knowledgeable than I am that have zero knowledge. Like I said, I've hunted them sp- as a side from from deer hunting. So what's your typical setup? So if we come up on a property, and obviously you have with the night vision, you're basically going to, I mean, obviously you're going to be starting in a field or yeah. that's all you hunt is fields because obviously with a range of vision. Right. So you're, you're using uh, your night vision. You're looking for sign there. So let's say then you spot Let's say you pull up and, and you spot a couple, one or two coyotes that are two, 300 yards down in the corner of this cornfield. What's your next move after? So what's your move? I would say we would probably be trying to get them out of that field so they don't visually right. see us coming yes. into okay. that setup. So, yeah, within two or 300, they're going to be too close and, you know, they're like – I'm only saying that because I'm, I'm trying to – I'm visualizing right. yeah. like my own property – yeah. There's probably never going to be more than like a 300 from one edge of the property. The other is probably only going to be a total of 300 yards. Right. And with yeah. two to 300 yards, they're going to see you and they're going to be a mile away by the time you even get out of the truck. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of times we do scan the field. If we do see them, we'll let them work their way out of there. Um, Jump in there as soon as they work off. Yeah. As soon as they're gone, we're in there calling. And nine times out of 10, I would say they'd come in. If we know for sure that they're in there, you know, visually see them or hear them, you know, most times they're probably coming in, which is awesome with that part. But so as you said, getting off the field, how how would you do that? So without, usually without ruining it. Usually when we have a field that we're coming up on, obviously it's nighttime. Wyatt or I, depending on which side of the truck the field's on, we'll probably grab our scanner and scan the field first, make sure there's nothing out there running around. Or and if there's nothing out there, or there is, let's say there is. You know, we'll probably drive back and forth multiple times. Hopefully, they'll just see the car traffic and naturally just move off. Be a, a little direction. leery and just kind of. Yep. Yep. And, you know, if they do move off, or which they probably will eventually, we'll just jump right in that field, kind of call from that area they just went to, and most times we'll call them back in. So when you when you get set up, I mean, what are you, what's your normal? So if, you know. How far, I, how far in are you going from your truck? What's your, what's your setup? We usually like to close the distance a little bit, but, I mean, if we got an 800-yard wide field and we know they're on the opposite side of that 800-yard field coming out of the swamp, for say, or wood line or whatever, and we know that's the area we're going to be calling, we're probably going to try to get at least half of that distance. You know, we want to at least get to probably 400-yard mark to call them from that. But Right, because they'd be a lot more hesitant to cross 800 yards across the open field. They're like, right. And that's the main that thing. That just doesn't sound right to me, or maybe yeah. it's not. They, and it depends on, like, the moonlight as well, because coyotes don't like light. 
Uh, so, and also snowfall. Right. Yeah, snowfall. Yep, snowfall. It's just a little bit more cover for them to move in or the moonlight shining the field up, and they're like, well, I ain't going across that field, and <laughs> it's like sunlight out. It's like I believe on a clear night with a full moon and snow on the ground, you probably sometimes don't even need any form of, oh, yeah. of yeah, lighting. We, we, right. we took shot last weekend yep. in that tournament, the second night, a uh, full moon, ton of snow, hunting uh, not far out of the city limits, a lot of uh, a lot of lights reflecting off the clouds and whatnot. I, I brought a shotgun into a close quarter set. I mean, you could see fine. Without red light, I mean. The so when you're getting set up, are you, are you like, in a sitting position? Are you, like, full sniper mode? We're I mean, always standing. So yeah. always, okay. Just, just for the simple fact of uh, your maneuverability. I mean, you can always say this is where you think they're going to come from, right? But half the time, probably, they don't come from that direction just because that's how it works out. But Yeah, I mean, we got pretty sturdy tripods that we stand up all the way with and right, they clamp use, your gun in and... We use a pretty solid. stand up uh, bog death grip tripods. It's a hold hold your gun locks right in the tripod at a standing height and uh, just maneuverability. Really, I mean, we have a lot of people that you know being courteous offer. Hey, here's my enclosed deer blind. You want to sit in that? But I mean, yeah, it'd be comfortable to sit in, but you can't. Your your thermal first off does not go through glass. Say so. Your field of view decreases 75% sitting in a blind where standing up behind your tripod, you can scan 360 degrees. Yeah, um, yeah when you hunt with a low moonlight, you know, you don't got much moonlight going and you're hunting a field and you don't have that maneuverability when you're sitting on a tree line on the ground, you know, or something. You got a coyote that shoots out of the side. You know, if you're a right-hand shooter, you can't really swing to the right very easily. Otherwise, when you're standing up, you can just take one quick step to the left and be on them almost instantly, which is nice because usually we see them with thermal 300 yards out. That's when you can then at you, least move a little bit. You find them in your night vision about 250, 200 if they're coming in hot and yep. you're on yep. them by the time they stop or know something's up. And then also how many times have you tried to rush a deer shot out of a deer blind and you bump a window or whatever and a deer looks and he's like, okay, I don't see nothing, so I'm going to go back about my business. Well, that coyote hears that bump and he is gone so you're standing up being that it's dark i mean are you still trying to somewhat set up a set like where you're getting close to trees at any type of background i mean yeah we we like to have a backdrop if you're silhouetted they'll see yeah. you as soon as they come out especially when they're looking so you kind of have to still pretend like it's somewhat daytime right so like yes. when a coyote's coming to a call he's he's obviously looking for something you know you're whether you're doing rabbit distress or you're doing coyote vocals he's coming in that field looking for a fight or he's looking for food so he's scanning. It's not like he's just strolling along. He's looking for you, which yeah. you're usually within, you know, 50 to 100 yards of your call. So if you don't have any backdrop and you're silhouetted or whatnot, they're going to spot you right away. Yeah, and I'll also add to that. If you are you got snow on the ground and it's a new moon for say, so there's no moon out at all. So it's pretty dark out there, but, yes, you can still see a little bit. But I think those are some of the best conditions because them coyotes feel safe to move in that light. Obviously not much light. They're coming in, and I swear, I think it messes with the coyote's eyes when you have white camo on and you're sitting in snow and you got that tripod that kind of breaks it up with the black going through the white. I think it breaks it up and messes with their eyes just a little bit because I've had coyotes standing in the middle of the field run 20 yards with a pair running right by us, and you just hear footsteps coming behind you where you don't think they're going to come from, so you kind of give up, you know, 
270 degrees, well, you don't give up 200. You watch your 270, you watch that other 90 degree behind you, and or you don't watch that 90 degree behind you. So, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you got two coyotes running in behind you that you just heard, and then you're trying to get on them running away at 200 yards. Call. Go, go ahead, Wyatt. I said I was just going to say running away is an extremely tough shot because these coyotes, you know, they might look big because they have four inches of fur on them, but by the time you, that you skin one out, his his kill zone is probably a six-by-six six area, really. About softball size. Yeah. Let's talk about calls. Yeah. Um, where – what situation dictates what calls? And, and like, where do you – I mean, do you normally start – is there a certain go-to that you start with, or does there, like I said, I'm, I'm treating this as yeah. like we're talking to somebody that's, n- you know, completely ignorant. Right. Yep. Where, where do you start as, I mean, obviously a distress call, or, or what? when do you go from using your normal, like obviously the rabbit distress is probably the most common, most popular call that uh, that a coyote hunter would use and have access to. When do you do that versus going into actually then using other coyote calls? and mimicking coyotes versus a distressed animal? So I would probably say we usually don't like to hunt coyotes in the summertime. I mean, it's just too hot, and, you know, their you're always walking is, through hay, pointless. bugs, yeah. mosquitoes. It's just not ideal, you know. I think it's way cooler to go kill a furred up coyote, nice pretty fur, or maybe get a few dollars for it if they're pretty enough or something. But I would say in the summertime we, we don't mess with them. So I don't really know in that part of it. I heard it's really good calling for vocals and stuff like that. I'm talking coyote howls and pup distress and pup fights for the summertime, I would say. Well, that and you have a lot more prey. You have fawns and you have baby turkeys and yes. you have baby rabbits and baby raccoons and there's but just way more prey. Everybody's so, Twitter-pated. Yeah, <laughs> so right. and a lot of offspring is yeah, around. Right, exactly. Yeah, like in June or July, I mean, that's when you're, well, August is when your pups from that year are finally getting older. They're getting out of the den. So that's when them mother coyotes or father parent coyotes get territorial. You know, they're them coyotes are moving off or getting around other coyotes and causing a ruckus. So they're like, well, what's my pup doing over here fighting or something like that? So that's what really ticks them off. You, you throw pup distress real close to a den in that time of year. It really fires them up is what I've heard. And but, I would say for the most part this time of year, um, it kind of depends on your situation. Like, uh, for example, in that tournament, you're hunting for heavy dogs, right? So um, you're going to be more aggressive with the calling. You're going to want to – you're trying to call alpha male dogs or alpha female dogs. So we really didn't spend a lot of time with distress calls. We didn't have much luck with distress calls. So you're doing more of pup fights and pup distress and yeah. challenges to try to get the larger, more dominant critters in. Yeah, but you which, usually don't try to start doing that until, like – late December, early January. Because, like, when you transition from summer into fall, October, November, that's when you're good, you know, prey and distress sounds, like your rabbit, you know, your uh, woodpecker in distress, bird distresses, and uh, maybe fawn distress, kitten distress has worked for us a few times. And those usually work good because we don't hunt in the summertime. So our population of coyotes is usually higher that time of year. So once you start playing your distress sounds, usually they just flock to that. It's starting to get cold weather, you know, and they're looking for food for up. And then that's when you transition into your breeding and your January sounds. And breeding season is late, couple, last couple weeks of January and the first couple weeks of February. 
that's when your breeding sounds are the best. Yes, they'll probably work through December and probably through February, maybe in the whole month of March probably. But it depends on the time of year, you know, mid main. Uh, so right now, I mean, obviously we're in the first week of February. So if you're going out, if you're leaving this podcast tonight and you're going out tonight. We're actually going out Friday. So <laughs> I'll just say what we'd start this, with then. This time of year uh, kind of depends on how the night's going. I mean, you kind of start to see what they react to and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But what's we usually working, try to not. start with a distress this time of year just because if one's close, you're not going to go blowing them out. So you start with a distress. Usually it's nutty nut hatch or baby cottontail. Um, and then after that, usually, you know, maybe throwing a lone female howl to see if there's a male in the area that wants to respond or even a, don, a alpha female that wants to respond to that. And then uh, we'll usually start with them howls. We'll, we'll start with the distress, then we'll move into the howls. We usually don't stick around the prey in distress too long on this time of year because they're, they're more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They'll react more, I guess, to another coyote in the area this time of year. So we'd go from prey in distress to your coyote howls, like invitational howls. Or like locator howl. Locator howl sometimes, but usually try to stick to more of a invitational coyote, younger female howl. And sometimes that works, sometimes it don't. Most times it doesn't. So but a doe bleat. <laughs> yes. I mean, if, you, if you're going to refer to from a yeah, it's from a deer hunting standpoint, you're 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 a, you're Getting the bleak can out. Right. It's like saying, hey, I'm here. I'm in the area. What's up? Yeah. And then we'll go into like a like a um, pup fight, per se. Like a either a pup fight or like a more of like a challenge howl. It depends on like if you if we had some answers on that and they seen, you know, on the first coyote howl, the female invitation howl, if we get some to respond to that and they seem really pissed off, you know, we're going to challenge them. So yeah. when you say a pup fight, like what would that? I'm not actually. I'm not asking you Which to mimic it, but I mean, what what is a what is a pup fight call? Or, or when you're trying to mimic a pup fight, what is that? It's so usually, I think so. Coyotes are smart, but they're not that smart. You know, you don't have to treat them as a human because they're not a human. You know, you're playing a 16 week old pup fight, and it's literally just pups growling and. You know, it's, it's a couple lines almost, here and there. Almost and sound like maybe two dogs with a with a chew toy on each end, gra- yeah, and trying playing tug like of war. It's, it's growling with, growling, uh, with some a couple wines. You know, like oh, one bit me, and then you get a couple of chirps. And yeah, like screams. when your dog gets kicked, <laughs> you know, right? Like, yep. That's and then it's, yeah, it's mostly growling. Then you'll, I kind of like to start with the most least aggressive pup fight. I'll play one least aggressive pup fight to start, just you know, in case little, there's a less. A little less dominant coyote in the area, then you might not still as pull, much. Might yeah. still pull that dog. Yep. Um, and then I got another sound I call boo. Well, I don't call it. I bought it. It's called Boo Beatdown. It's MFK game calls, and that's a aggressive pup fight. So I kind of start with the least aggressive fights or sounds in general, and then get into the more aggressive as I go because I don't want to scare the skittish more skittish coyotes off early on. So then I'll play a hard pup fight. You know, they're really fighting. They're growling. They're whining one's getting beat up hard you know and then into that we'll go right after that i'll play a pup fight or pup distress now correct me if i'm wrong is that more up to attract a female if she thinks one of her really pups both. isn't it really could be an alpha both. male in the area that's like who's who's in my territory messing around and just in my territory mayhem. or yeah. a or female that, that could be my pup right yes so with, it's a, really, with really a mama really instinct kicks in right <clears throat> yep and, you know, sometimes that female will get pissed off at 
another female for being in her area during breeding season. Oh, for sure. Yep. So it can both. And then go a lot of ways. times we'll even go back to a really aggressive challenge at the end, just in case someone snuck in and was unsure whether or not they wanted to approach. Well, then that might be the trigger that sets them off. That the it was probably three weeks ago we worked. Uh, we were actually setting the call out and a, a big pack fired up thousand yards away. We're like, okay, we're gonna get these dogs in. You know, they're real responsive. Well, they're working their way in, working their way in. Well, then they hold up. And we're 20 minutes into call and haven't heard them, haven't seen them, totally held up. We went through about every every call there is, and then you hit them with a with a challenge, and it's just a trigger sound, you know. It's like why didn't any of these other fight sounds work or nothing else? And then you hit them with a challenge. 30 seconds later, they're running our call over, come completely from our blind side, ran our mm-hmm. call over, ran out 200 yards, stopped and looked like what the heck's going on? And it happened so fast that obviously we didn't have time to react. They run out 200 yards. Nick Nick changes the call to a distress, which even though they just ran the call over, that triggers another instinct. They turn around and sprint right back to the call 80 yards, and we fold them up right there in the field. I'm assuming with your calling, this is all what, – what's your percentage between electronic versus mouth? I mean, is it 100% electronic calling, or do you do any hand-mouth calls? We, we messed around with a little bit of hand calling last year, but it's just more of a hassle, I mean, right. honestly. I mean, you got a necklace full of hand calls around your neck, and you got a thermal hanging from your neck and your e-collar remote hanging from your neck. You know, it can just get a little too much when you're, you know, your howler call is eight inches long. You know, it's it can get in the way. And it's so what, what is your typical electronic call device? I mean, you, you're using it where it's not really physically on you. You've got it maybe set away from you with, him, with a remote. Yeah, yeah. we uh, run the Fox Pro Shockwave. And uh, I got an aftermarket tripod that I set up on it. And I'll swear to get a tripod on them callers, get that caller up a little bit. It helps with sound distribution. Especially and when there's snow because that snow muffles it so bad you want to get the sound up off yes. the snow a little bit. That's a great point. Yeah, and you're, uh, the range of your remote. You know, you got a little hill or the snow, for say, like he was saying. You know, the remote, they don't have the best of signal all the time. But if you get it propped up on a rock or on a corn row with that tripod, it gets it up another foot or two. Yeah. And that helps with range of remote. So you can get that caller out 60, 100, you know, maybe 150 yards, depending on the setup. And obviously, too, the terrain. I mean, because like you mentioned, you know, if, if you've ever, if any of you have ever turkey hunted with a buddy, and then if you've got hills and then right. you hear one go off, it's like, well, I came up. And both of you are going to feel like it came from a different spot. Yeah, and is he 100 yeah. yards? Is he right over that or, hill? Is he 300 yards? No, it didn't come up from over there. It came from over there. Or is he there. gobbling the opposite <laughs> way of you? Right. And he's yeah. 100 yards or is he gobbling towards you and he's 300 yards? Yeah. Yep. It's, yeah. And then also the good thing about the call is you can, if you do have a wind that is, um, say, marginal, you have a marginal wind where you think they're going to come from, you can put the call in a position where they try to get to the sound of the call and still not get your wind, if you, so, s- if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, so that, that's my next question. Then when you, when you mention that, are they – do you play the wind as you do deer hunting or from a calling standpoint? I mean, they're not going to do like what a buck does and what do, does the circle thing to try to get downwind, especially if you can't see essentially, what he's essentially hearing. Essentially, they do. You do you – do, you almost never want too perfect of a win because they won't feel comfortable coming to the call. So Yeah. You get, like, what I like to say with humans, for say, you know, we're hunting. What do we use? We use our eyes to hunt for the most part. We can't use our nose and our ears for the nope. most part. 
we're using our eyes. We hunt with our eyes. Coyotes hunt mainly with their nose at night. If a coyote can't see or smell, you know, that's what they see with their nose at night. They can't see. They're probably not going to come in if they don't have that perfect wind. But if you get a little bit of a breeze, they think they can at least reach that, you know, where your wind's blowing and then come in on that. Do you guys use from either a um, decoys or let's say you get like a deer carcass or anything? I mean, do you use any type of that in in your personally? I've, or is never, it just strictly I've calling? Hunted, I've never hunted over bait. We do have a rabbit distress. Um, it's a rabbit decoy on the collar. Um, sometimes we run it, and sometimes we don't. If I think just that outline of your dark call in the snow or whatever i think that just might be enough like a visual like you know visual for the coyote to see and be like okay maybe that's what's making the sound right and at least come in range to check it out but i think you know when your daytime sets per se you stick that collar up in a little bit of grass and you get that little bit of flutter of a woodpecker or cottontail whatever our decoy is making that little bit of eye movement that visual might just be enough for a coyote to react and pull him in you say a woodpecker is, is literally a, coy- a coyote a predator of a woodpecker yes. how in the world the hell, how in the hell is a coyote gonna try have, to kill a have you ever you know? heard of a bird in distress i mean a bird i guess i'm just not i'm always thinking that a woodpecker's you know 20 to 40 feet up in a tree <laughs> well it could yeah. be that it could be a woodpecker with a broken wing or but even not even necessarily a woodpecker just the noise itself like i was referring to i don't think coyotes are that smart like they don't they they I think it's a sound that they've never heard before, and I think the it's curiosity... A, it's a distress sound that a hungry coyote says, yeah. that's something in trouble. I'm going to go check it out and see what it is. Yeah. I mean, we have called coyotes in on kitten distress. We've called them in Crows on at crow night. calls at night, midnight. I, the, the very first coyote that I ever had, when I first started kind of getting intrigued by it, I literally, when I before my dog passed away, we had I literally would take one of my dog's squeaky toys, yep. and I'd put it in my backpack. If I ever saw one, I'd just get it and start, or i just, exactly. you know, yep. do that. That, like I said, anytime I get one in visual, pretty much at least stops them. Right. Yeah. And then I'm just, I'm pendant on the wind. I mean, sometimes it'll come in, and it'll all work out. Other times, they not so much. nothing to do with it. Right. They'll, yep. they'll catch me, and... Exactly. And, and and it's all over. Well, yeah. for for example, nowadays we have more ground, so we don't spend as much time on a set and sit there and go through twenty different calls. But back, you know, when we first got started, we didn't have as much ground, so you have four spots. Well, you spend an hour at the spot, you know, calling because if you burn them up, then your night's over and you're oh man, I'm going home. So the night that I shot my very first coyote uh, with Nick, we're sitting there <laughs> calling. I think we're forty four minutes on the call. And I'm getting I'm getting to the point where I'm like, man, this this really just ain't that fun, you know. Sitting there freezing, it was middle of February, zero <laughs> degrees. I'm, I'm like, playing. I don't I, I don't see what's can't fun drink in this. beer. He, he played he played every call on the. Are, are you drinking beer when you're doing this? Not, Not usually. No, no, because they smell that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe yeah, we'll have one in between sets if it's a rough night. But you're, you're not you're not standing bit. out there and cracking a cold no, bush light. Absolutely not. No. No. Gotta, I mean, maybe well, if we kill a double or something, we'll celebrate with a beer. But right. Other than that, we try not to because we'll get so tired. You know, you drink four or five beers at yep. nine o'clock by well, midnight. You're like, yeah, I'm done. I'm tired. Well, if you think <laughs> about it, Nick's got a he's got a thermal scanner in one hand. He's scanning constantly, and his other hand has <laughs> the, the remote call the in remote. it or the remotes in your other hand. So <laughs> you're scanning, changing calls. You, you ain't got no time for that. <laughs> but the first night, the first coyote I ever shot, we're 45 minutes on set. 
and he has went through every call on that caller and I'm sitting there and I'm starting to get real tired. I'm like, I just don't see how this is that enjoyable. Why and, is he playing crows? Yeah, and, and he goes, <laughs> I got, I got one more thing. I'm gonna try a crow call, and I was like, It's eleven o'clock at damn night. What is a crow call gonna do? And I ain't shitting you. Thirty seconds into that crow call, here come a big male coyote sprinting across the field right to right the caller. And just a standard crow call, standard yeah. like standard like you crow use for a locator like, for turkey. It was exactly. a feeding frenzy, yeah. A feeding frenzy crow call at eleven o'clock at night, and. I already shut my I shut my scope off. I'm sitting there like I'm just praying. He says, "Let's go soon," you know. <laughs> and he goes, "Dog, dog, dog." And at that time, I don't have a thermal scanner. I'm sitting there in the dark, and I'm turning the scope back on because I thought we were done. And by the time I find it, he's at a hundred yards already, and uh, put the crosshairs on him and folded him up. And uh, I mean, it happened so fast. These these scopes have a um, video recorder on them. And I I told myself a hundred times while I'm sitting there, I'm like, do not forget to hit record. Can't forget to record your first coyote kill. You know, it's a manual button on the right side of the scope. Well, it happened so fast and just the adrenaline, I forgot to record it. And I look at Nick, and he's like, did you hit record? And I said, nope, missed it. <laughs> <laughs> you just, I mean, now it's second nature. As soon as you hear or see coyote, you're hitting record so that you can just to, run the shot back to say, did I hit that dog? Did I not hit the dog? Did I pull off? What happened? How did I not, you know? So with getting into the recording, so you're saying that you your camera is the literally... Scope, it's the scope the, internally is a, records to an SD card, yeah. So, I mean, back then, yeah, you get such an adrenaline rush. It's new to you. You're not used to this kind of technology, and you forget to hit record. Well, nowadays, either him... Me and Nick almost always exclusively hunt together. Sometimes his brother tags along. Sometimes my brother tags along. Between the three or four of us, somebody's got on record. You still forget occasionally, but most of the time, three of us have it on there, and then you can sit back and watch it ten times over and say, wow, that was badass. Like Whether it was a 400-yard shot or you shot a double on video, you have the video to look back at. And how easy is that then to say that related, like if you want to, post your video like on Facebook or social oh, there's media. A, there's an app that it saves to your internal hard drive or SD card on your uh, scope and you go on in the app, download, downloads to your camera roll. So just like, just you like can, download you can a, a trail cam picture. Well, you could be staying in the field, shoot the dog or not know what happened. It ran in the woods. Did I hit it? You download it as you're standing in the field and say yeah. 30 seconds later, oh, yep, my crosshairs were on him. Yeah, Let's go huge, find blood or whichever. Yeah, that's a huge resource. That's a huge resource to know, like, where exactly you hit that coyote or where was I exactly aiming because your drone's rushing at that point, you know. Where did I actually squeeze that shot off? Was I a little high? Was I two inches low? You know, it's really nice to know that stuff. I was talking to him about w with the cameras. Um, and we've talked about decoys. I'm, I'm trying to cover all of our bases here. Um, what is... I know the other question I was wanting to ask is what, what do you feel just about your own personal opinion and from your experiences, what do you think is probably the number one prey for a coyote? I mean, what, what's probably the number one animal that they're, is there dealt that they're going after? What, what's number one on their hit list? Do you think? I would say mice. I would have to say the mice in the hay fields in the summer or the winter time when that hay that's kind of grown, it falls over and the mice really like to make trails in that. So they really hunt either that or swamps. They'll be hunting like birds. 
birds and nests in the swamp that are that got that low brush. They're hunting the birds that are nesting up in there. So I think probably between mice and birds are probably their number one targets. And when they say, when obviously a mo- majority of us, you know, we're we're whitetail, we're turkey hunters. Yes, they're they're a nuisance to that. Not too many coyotes are going to actually bring down a mature deer. I mean, it can't. I mean, it happens. Yeah. Um. Personally, more. I mean, they're obviously going to be preying on the fawns in the spring. Yes. Yeah. From a turkey standpoint, are they are they more of waiting until the the little chicks are born? Or are they just flat out, or or are they more apt to eat the eggs out of the nest? I would probably have to say the eggs. I think the curiosity of a coyote, once they either smell it or see, stumble upon the eggs, I think once they see them eggs, they're going to be like, well, what's that? You know, and they might know it's an egg or something, but I think they'll they'll tear it up. I think it always amazed me, too, with what Wyatt mentioned, you know, about with trail cameras, how much activity that you see during the daylight, and not only day, I mean, midday. I mean, a lot of times I've seen, from my own personal experience, a good chunk, I'm going to say a majority of the coyote pictures that I get on my trail cameras are like from 11 to 12.30 in the afternoon, 11 in the morning. Well, can, we, can we hunt your spots then? Because uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we get 2 a.m. pictures. but We've been trying to kill a daytime. I mean, coyote. I get nighttime pictures, don't get me wrong, but a lo- it a lo- seems like the, day, the daytime ones, they're not, I don't get a lot of like early daybreak ones. They always seem to be like from, from 10 to one o'clock and that could be true but a lot of the daytime stuff in my experience is uh heavy cover and and yes and let me let me let me backtrack these are like down in swamp in a a swamp area heavy cover where they feel safe they can sneak around in the daytime and not yes not get seen by other things but uh one of the most frustrating things for me is running cell cams obviously i had a place one of my hunting properties you know um i had at least five pictures of coyotes every single day for three weeks leading up to the tournament. We saved that back all year, and I said, this is a guaranteed. Some nights I have a pack of five, some nights a pack of three, most nights a pair. said, 100%. Right here, we go here, we're, we're shooting a dog or two. We go there, call for 30 minutes the night of the tournament. Not a Nothing. dog. Didn't get a single picture the two nights of the tournament. On that camera, had one every night for the last three weeks. The next night, Sunday night, I got six pictures. One picture with four coyotes in it coming past the same set we sat twenty four hours ago, same spot, perfect, perfect, every perfect condition you could want. We called that twice during the tournament. Once right at daybreak, one night, didn't see, didn't yeah. see a damn coyote. But the the second the tournament's over. Pack of four strolling through 50 yards from where we sat. Yep. Have you, through your while hunting, have you encountered a, a killed fox? I mean, while, while you're trying to lure a coyote in, has, does that same tactics call, like with your calling, will that call a fox in? We, uh, usually your prey and distress zones will call in a fox. Right. Um, they, they don't coincide very often. No. If there's a lot of coyotes, no. a lot of times. Well, that's what I've noticed, fox. like, we're we're here in the southwest Michigan region. Like, there's a huge population of fox that are in downtown South Bend, Indiana. Yes, 
and I've been told it's because and the coyotes are driven they're them. They're escaping the coyotes. Yes. Yeah. Well, the coyote they're more suburban. Fox are more suburban yes. areas. And I've seen more. When I started hunting as a teenager, seen fox all the time out in the fields, and then it's just like they became extinct for well, like twenty fox years. Are, right. Fox are big time prey for coyotes. They're they fight over the same territory, and uh, yeah, coyotes actually will eat a fox. And a lot of people think that a fox is bigger than they are. I mean, in the tournament that Great Lakes Predator Challenge, there was an eight pound fox weighed in. Yeah, they're then, not. Yeah, then you have. You have forty-five pound coyotes getting weighed in, and they're trying to fight over the same territory. The fox don't have a fighting chance. No. no, we we rarely call in fox, and usually we, we don't stick around them calling sequences very long because I think it takes a little bit more work to get a you know a more skittish fox in for say. So you're playing five praying distress sounds in a set. Us, we're usually playing at best two praying distress sounds a set, mostly because we're trying to get into the coyote vocals, especially this time of year. We're not playing as many prey and distress sounds as we should to call in a fox, but we're not really avid on trying to kill fox. Yeah, we we I don't I don't even know if I personally would pull the trigger on a fox if it right. came in. I mean, they're not they're not out there eating your deer they're and your turkeys. Pretty. They're yeah, so they're pretty. they're pretty. you rarely see them, <laughs> and they're not a big time predator. They might get a rabbit here and there, and they mostly eat mice. So yeah, I mean they're not really wreaking that much havoc on your land. No, so like a coyote is right. I got correct me if I'm wrong, but I got to believe that in the area that we live in, and, and really throughout the Midwest, the coyotes are so big because, or I'm, as far as quantity and numbers, there's nothing around here that's predator that's going after them. No. We Obviously, we are the only coyotes yeah. predators, right? Correct. Yep. Versus maybe I'm assuming now once you get out west, I'm I'm sure wolves when you get into territory wolves, with wolves mountain lions yeah then but they, they're, they then, they're then they're getting hunted yes. right? like yes as we're saying human beings in this area in the mid most yep. majority of the midwest we're the only thing that's hunting them yeah so that's why that they are so vast in this area which is yep. what we joke about a lot honestly too is it's like how is the top predator in the area that skittish so scared like they are so scared of the drop of a hat and it's like they're the top predator. There's not besides humans. There's nothing else on top of the food chain right. from them. Yes, but they are the most skittish creature. They're also probably one of the smartest I've ever hunted. I guess I would imagine maybe other. I mean, a, a pretty um, stout dog. I mean, yeah, you yeah, know, right. I, I'm sure that if if a coyote came into snuck into some dude's back house with a pit bull, pit bull, I don't think is probably going to back down. From a coyote, no, it'll probably tear the coyote up. I yep. mean, I'm sure the coyote will <laughs> give it a fight, oh, yeah. fight of its life. But I guess that I guess what I'm getting at is that might be the only type of predator. But even though they're the dogs aren't actually hunting like a pit bull or or what or a Rottweiler yeah. or whatever type yeah. of your typical fighting dog you you're thinking of is going after a coyote. But mm-hmm. if one would venture in Correct. to their out to their backyard, right. they're not going to back down. Right. right, a dog like that. Right. And that's what we joke about all the time. We're like. You know, you might do everything perfect. This dog never got your win. He just did not like what was going on. And it's like, how is that the top predator that skittish? Yeah, you would think a smart you, coyote would you come would think flying he, into a rabbit in distress. Right. Like most times you would think, but that does not happen. <laughs> and I don't even necessarily know that it's the pressure because a lot of the ground we have, a couple of spots, I have the whole block locked up. I know nobody else is calling coyotes on that block. Right. So how are they that they're skittish? Not, they're not leery. Right, you know, they're not educated. Right. Yes, like because that, that's a huge that. thing right. with like with turkey hunting. Because it's like you know sometimes I think guys they get 
a little trigger happy in the spring. Like they want to get like when it warm, like we, you know, here in Michigan, we got to wait till mid April before right. we can even get out. Mm-hmm. Well, we might get some 60, 70 degree weather in, in March and we just want to go out there and, and you that, start that Turkey might've, yeah. if you're on and, a small plot of land, you're might've screwing heard. yourself. If you yeah. start simulating yeah. calling and everything, cause yeah, right. you're like, as you said, you're educating, educating the birds. Them. And it's and the same applies to coyotes. Especially if you're on a yeah. small pot of land with a lot of pressure, that turkey might have heard, you know, four four or five different hen calls or whatever. Right. And yeah. They're a little more hesitant, but yeah. yeah, the coyotes. I mean, even if you kill a, a small one, they still are so smart. Uh, uh, this year's pup. Oh yeah. It's just crazy how smart they work. You know, we have almost a perfect win for the setup that we killed our third dog for this tournament this last weekend and it's a perfect crosswind and my idea is a perfect crosswind so you got a coyote coming you know straight in front of you you're either on the north or south end and you got an east west east right. or west yeah. he's gonna try to yep. circle so and get your win we try to put the collar out there so we think he can circle the collar before he gets to see us or you know we're out of the view 150 yards behind the collar 100 yards behind the collar he's gonna come out of the south end when we're facing south but he's gonna circle around to the west with with the east wind, so he's gonna and be trying to get that. Try wind. to get the wind of the call and give you a shot. Once he gets the wind of the call, but he doesn't get the wind of you, he's gonna come to that call and thinks everything's good. Ideally, that's how things are supposed to work. But in that tournament last weekend, that coyote was working just like we thought he was. Thought he'd give us a perfect 150, 200 yard shot, but nope. He just wasn't liking something. Came out, was circling, circling. Wind is 200 yards away from him getting it, and he. Didn't like something. It, it wasn't even up. like he could see the call and tell that there was nothing there. The call was yeah. over a hill from him, so he would have to crest the crest hill to the s- hill to see the call. And he still hangs up at 300, 250 to three hundred yards. And it wasn't like it was a small dog that was scared of a fight. It was a dominant male. It was a forty pound yeah. male coyote, with uh, older male, and he still did not like something. Did not want a piece of whatever it was. And he never even got to the wind. He come out of there and stood there for two minutes. We're like, well, Screw it's it. 300 yards. We got to take it's him there. And we ended up knocking him down. You know, we we do, uh, if there's especially if there's a solo, a lot of times we count down and our sequence is three, two, one, shoot. And you follow the same sequence of whoever's counting. You shoot after one. And we've got pretty good hunting together a lot. You know, we fire pretty much simultaneously. Yeah. Sometimes you can't, did you shoot? Yeah, I shot. Did you shoot? Yeah, we all three shot at the same exact time, <laughs> you know. But yeah, they they're nervous about something almost every time. It's amazing because I mean, when when you're saying that, that I, I automatically think about there how, how many times where, from a deer hunting standpoint, you know, we'll use a buck decoy, and it'll be a, and obviously we always use obviously it's a smaller rack or a lot of times we even just put one antler. You know, versus the two, but a even beat up, yeah, yeah. But out. even at the rack itself, it's just like a, it's going to mimic a year and a half year old buck, and yeah. you no, might get nothing this, intimidating. You're going to yeah. get a three, four, a three and a half year old buck come out, and he does what doesn't want anything to do with it, and we're like, that doesn't make sense. What could doesn't, you, what and then could you'll you get, possibly then you'll get a spike that'll come out and want a piece of its ass, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's always amazed me. It just, it's it just everything. It's about the moment and the mood of that animal. And I mean, there's so many factors. Oh, like, yeah. I think of it as a as a human standpoint. If you have this big old meathead with a little squirrely dude sitting there, jaw jacking him, nine times out of ten, he's not going to take that shit. So <laughs> why why is this big dominant for the area buck right. so scared, or this alpha male coyote is so hesitant? 
to come into a, a pup fight. I think one of the things from a turkey hunting standpoint, kind of on those same guidelines, one of the biggest things that I learned from a decoy perspective, when I first started turkey hunting, I would always have the tom and the hen. Stick them out there. Well, you get it to sometimes, tom ain't going to come in. And somebody told me, it's like, put two hens out. So then I have a tom and two hens. Now he's going to feel, well, I I don't have to. That's, I, I, there's one free hen somewhere. There's one free <laughs> yeah. hen. I don't have to fight for, you know, it's right. not going to be a one-on-one fight for the one hen. True. He's going to be only wanting one. I've got the other one. So And I've had a lot more success of them bringing them in with a two-hen setup versus just your traditional. Yeah, I had an instance like that uh, last year, actually. <laughs> Put one tom and one hen out and. Sounded like a couple times. You got, got a little back, same thing. <laughs> you got a little Jake decoy out there. Here comes this big strutter, and he and with a hen, and he doesn't want nothing. He ends I'm up like, at hundred yeah, yards, Jake and you're decoy. like, why would you not? Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. insane. Doesn't make sense. Like by all rights, this should be your piece of tail <laughs> if, if you wanted it. What, right. What's yeah. your yeah, gentlemen? This has been a blast. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I really thought it's like, man, I hope I can get a half hour into this and talking to you guys. <laughs> And here we are. We're an hour and over an hour and fifteen minutes in. And I think oh. we probably. I know. We got I know you. I know you two <laughs> could go well over another hour oh, yeah. um, talking. This has been an absolute pleasure. I really thank both of you um, for coming on, and um, obviously, I encourage uh, both of you to to find us on the Outdoor You uh, Facebook course, page. Help us promote um, trying to get this thing going. And um, I, I, I honestly, I'm not going to lie. I'd like to really see you guys at work. So I might tag e- along. I, I might either uh, tag along with you or maybe even invite you out onto one of my properties and and let you do some yoke management out, out on mine. So you got, if you got some camo and you can hide good, we got an open seat <laughs> in the truck whenever. I, I've always got camo. Anybody that knows I me, I, I am I am a camo addiction fool. Every can you, year can you I sit am still for thirty minutes. Every year you, you probably see me <laughs> on the good. woodsman. I'm selling yeah. I'm selling camo. Anytime you see. That I have camo for sale. It means well, Rob bought something different. Rob bought, <laughs> well, Rob bought a new outfit. I wish I could fit your size, but I don't, I don't think I can. I got an extra rifle for you, so <laughs> nice. Wyatt, Nick, thank you so much. Thanks for and, that. Uh, Appreciate. I would love to have you guys on again um, for Absolutely. another Coyote podcast. Or we'll have more stories in a year. I promise you. Oh. Absolutely. Probably, probably learn some more things we could talk about as well. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. We want to thank you for listening here on the Outdoor You podcast. If you liked our show, please help expand our audience by sharing on your social media platforms and simply by just telling a friend. Thanks for listening and get outdoors. Thanks, everybody. We would like to hear from you as the listener. If you would like one of our podcasts dedicated to a certain outdoor subject or to share your favorite outdoor experience, either as a guest on a show or post on our social media page, you can do all of the above by reaching us on Facebook at Outdoor You. Thanks for listening.